wanted to teach more into this, but it looks like I'm not going to have the space I need to teach because other people will be ministering uh, this, this month, this coming month. So I want to talk about, I want to conclude on walking, enjoying, and living in the forgiveness of sins. This is part two of our Blessed to Impact series and how we walk in God's blessings. So walking, enjoying, and living in the forgiveness of sins is one of the ways we walk in God's blessings. Let me just briefly recap on what we have said so far. Psalm 32 verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So we've already established what we mean by the forgiveness of sins. It means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone because of an offense or a flaw or a mistake that they have or they have done against you. And we said that forgiveness is the most neglected need in our world today. And it is also the most important need, spiritual need, for the human soul. Forgiveness is the greatest expression of God's love and therefore, by default, is also the greatest expression of our love for another person. It's very easy to like people when you've got nothing against them. But when you have to forgive them, that is a demonstration of love at its highest level. We talked about the fact of sin, the fact that all have sinned. There is no one righteous, not one. And Bola touched on the scripture, Ecclesiastes 7.20, which says there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. So all have sinned. And we mentioned why we need forgiveness. Because, number one, because of the nature and the power of sin. Sin, by its nature and by its power, will cause us to be trapped in a cycle where we will keep sinning. And secondly, because of the consequences of sin, there is always a consequence for sin. So, the need for forgiveness is vital. And then we kind of mention about the initial responses we all have to sin. When we sin, there are 10 things that happens to us when we sin. And uh, we touched on, I think, eight or seven of them, and I'm just going to rush through it briefly. We said the responses that take place are, number one, the rejection of God. Secondly, a sense of shame. Number three, regret. Number four, guilt. Number five, fear of exposure. Fear of rejection. Number six, seven, blaming of others. Eight, anger. And that's where we ended. And then, so the next one, and we learned this from Adam and Eve's narrative. The first, the first couple, when they sinned, these were the things that were evident in how they responded. So the ninth element or response to sin is hatred. Hatred. Now, we, it's not overt in Adam and Eve's narrative 
although you, it, you can see in the blame game, it's the woman you gave me that caused me to do this thing, but you see it with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4 verse 8, after God had rejected Cain's offering, the Bible says in verse 8 that Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain's murder of Abel was rooted in an intense hatred for him because of his sin. Now, how do I know this? Because the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, tells us this. He says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Whoever hates his brother, he says, is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in abiding in him. So what we see with sin is this. One of the things is, one of the responses to sin, it's, it will cause us to hate those who are righteous or those that have offended us or those that we have something against. And beloved, if we allow hatred of any kind to remain in our hearts, we are committing murder in our hearts. And the scripture says that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. And then the final response to sin that um, I want to highlight very briefly is that of, I beg your pardon, I don't know what's happening here, is that of self-justification. Self-justification. In other words, we do not see the sin as wrong. Again, we see this with Cain. When Cain was when Cain's offering was rejected, the Bible says that God spoke to Cain. Cain got angry. And after he got angry and he killed his brother, God then comes to Cain and says, where is your brother Abel? Genesis 4, 9. Where's your brother Abel? And he says to God, I do not know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's like, it's got nothing to do with me. And often, when we sin, we make it out like our sin is not a big deal. Oh, you're making too much of a deal of this thing. It's not such a big deal. Why do you keep going on over the same thing? After all, everybody sins. We've all got our issues. And as long as you do not see sin for what it is, you cannot be forgiven. You cannot be forgiven. All right, so now let's talk about the need to forgive others. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 to 15, quite a famous passage of scripture. Matthew 12, Matthew chapter 6, I beg your pardon. Matthew 6, verses 12 to 15. And forgive us our debts. This is part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So just briefly, four things I want you to notice from these verses. Number one, we all are forgiven in the same manner 
and degree, we forgive. So however we forgive people, whatever processes we use to forgive people is how God forgives us. Are you happy with that? So if you're one who needs two days before you forgive, then God also needs two days before he forgives you. Are you still here? You online. Are you still tuned in? If you are one who, before you forgive, people have to go through a, a, a series of hoops to jump through. You know, you know, crawl on their knees a bit. You know, pay penance. I don't know what they need to do. Then that's what God expects of you. Because he says, forgive us our debts. Now, debts has to do with something outstanding. Something that is old. So we have been truly wronged. So forgive us our debts in the way we forgive our debtors. So that's the first thing about forgiveness. Second thing is, so let me just say this. God the Father will hold us to account based on how we forgive others. As a young Christian, when I read the scripture, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, that really spoke to me. And within the grace of God, I have sought to try and live that paradigm because I know I need a lot of mercy and I'm going to need mercy on the last day. So I want to demonstrate it now. Hallelujah. Second point from these verses. Unforgiveness makes us vulnerable to temptation and from vulnerable to the enemy's power. And I think a lot of believers underestimate this dynamic of the spiritual vulnerability that comes when we are holding things in our heart against others, when we are angry towards others, when we are resentful towards others, when we allow the offense or the pain that others have caused us to eat at us and to influence how we relate to others. I see it so many times, so many times. Even right now, as I am ministering, I can see some of us where in our hearts we need to forgive. Even after all that has been administered, there are still some of us who will still hold something against someone, some pain that they caused us. When we remember it, it flares up. How could they treat us like that? How? But listen, unforgiveness makes us vulnerable to temptation. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering also yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, look at what he's saying in verse 1. You know, if anyone is overtaken in a fault or a trespass, this version is trespass the same fault or a sin, some versions. In other words, they knew it was wrong and they did it. You who are spiritual should restore them gently and consider yourself. Otherwise, you will be vulnerable. You will be vulnerable. I've had people laugh at me because of my big belly. And they now have big bellies as well. 
In Jesus' name, may God have mercy on your big belly. It might become bigger than mine if you are not careful. <laughs> I had people laugh at me when one day I had this, this thing with my tooth and people were laughing. <laughs> now they have the same problem. I'm not saying I'm happy. I'm just pointing it out. Be careful. Now that, that's a bit of levity, but on a serious note, unforgiveness makes you vulnerable to temptation. The thing that you despise in others, you will end up doing worse if you don't forgive. Sometimes we see our parents and we say, oh, how could they do that? How could they do such a thing? How could they treat me like this? How and then you become a parent and you are worse than your parents. Why? Because you did not forgive them. And they said, deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because the scripture says, whoever lets down the hedge, the serpent will bite. Unforgiveness breaks the hedge of God's protection on your life, as we'll see later. It's a fact. If you read the, uh, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 18, our Lord is very clear about the consequences of not forgiving people. He's very clear. He says, your heavenly father, this is what he will do to you if you do not forgive from your heart. Say your heart. Not your mind. Your heart. In other words, your inner core. And you know something? You know the people who hurt us the most are the people who are closest to us. Sometimes we love them, but we are angry. We've been angry for weeks and months. Sometimes even for years. Then one day you say, five years ago, you said and you did. I said, what? I did what? You said and you did. And you notice five years later, you are vulnerable to the same thing you were vulnerable to five years ago. Sometimes some couples, the thing that they should have dealt with in their kindergarten of marriage, they are still dealing with it 25 years later. No, 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 no. That's, that's, too, that's too much work. Now, the first three years, you can, you can wrangle. First three years, you know, your head is like a hippopotamus. No, your belly is like a fridge. You can, you know, first three years, you can, you can, you know, you're, you're working it out. First three years, you know, oh, shut up. Oh, you shut up. First three years, you shouldn't really say shut up, but, you know, be quiet. Silence your mouth. I don't know. <laughs> you know, first three years. But after, after three years, enough of it. Now you, sh you should grow up. You should grow up. By seven years, you should be a bit more mature. By 13 years, it should be love paradise. Now let's move on. Number three. This is Mother's Day. Let's move on. Number three. Mothers should forgive. Amen. <laughs> no, because they take a lot of rubbish. Mothers are the best. Because they really care. Sometimes when I see how the mother of my children, I only have one mother of children, cares. And you know, when the children hurt her, how it goes into her. I don't mind them. They will grow up. They will leave. It would be just as stupid. I care. 
care, but you know, if they're upset, let them be upset. They'll get over it. Don't mind them. One of them is here. Spying. Going to report to the rest. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway. Third thing about forgiveness from these verses. Forgiveness is a demonstration of our complete dependence on God. Look at what he says in the next verse. verse the second part of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What is that? Look at the, the context. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. In other words, God, I rest everything in your hands. It's, it's in your hands. When you forgive people, at times you feel stupid. Yeah. You have to go to them and say, mind you, they were the ones in the first place who hurt you. It was them who started the fight. It was them who was instigating. You were minding your own business, you know, trying to be a good Christian. And then they came and brought their issue. And then they upset you, messed you up. And they walked off happily. Hallelujah, Jesus is good. And so, you're having to deal with it. Then you go to them and say, you know, brother, sister, you know, the way you spoke, me? When did I speak? And then they will act like you are mad. You yourself, you are mad. What, what, what are you talking about? Well, you had an issue with me. Me, I have no issue with you. No, 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 no. I, you had an issue with me. <laughs> well, I forgive you. <laughs> yeah, you want to, you know. It's like that. Sometimes when you're having to forgive people, or when you're having to make peace, you really feel stupid. You know, at times, people think, oh, Pastor Joe, he doesn't care. I care. But listen, I care more about upstairs. So I feel very stupid having to come and say, you know what? When I said that, it was wrong. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say when I said it, you deserved it. Your head is like a, a, a China, China town. You're, I want to insult you on top of it. But... Uh, uh, you know, I want to come to you and insult you for, but I say, you know, I'm sorry when I said it. And then when they say, what are you sorry about? <laughs> but you know, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. So it's like you're trusting God to deal with the issue. And then the final thing that I want you to see in these verses is this, forgiveness enables us to enjoy the benefits of the cross. However, unforgiveness undermines the work of the cross. Look at 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Now remember what a trespass is. A trespass is where you know clearly this is the boundary and you cross it. So the person knew what they were doing to you. It's not like they didn't realize they hurt your feelings. They knew. They knew they are going to hurt you and they stole your money anyway. They lied about you anyway. They cheated you. And you have to forgive them because you want the cross to continue to work. Hallelujah. Say to your neighbor, he's talking to you. Yeah. The best example, the greatest example on the cross so uh, the great example of forgiveness is on the cross. Our Lord is on the cross, absolutely humiliated, 
completely vulnerable. The chief priests, the soldiers, the people are mocking him. They are hurting. They have hurt him. They have bruised him. They have crushed him. They have insulted him. And he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see now, if it was me, I don't think I could say that. What do you mean they don't know? They know what they're doing. I heard the story. I don't know if it's true. And please, this is not a racist thing. I beg you, please. I just heard the story. There was a, about how every, every culture tries to adapt the cross. And there was a Chinese film about the crucifixion. And they adapted it to the culture. So Jesus is on the cross. And he's dying. And then he just comes off the cross and beats all of them up. Beats them up. And then when he finishes, he goes back on the cross and dies. <laughs> That's adapting to culture. <laughs> that sounds more like it. <laughs> from, from, a human, from a human perspective, just show them who's, where the power really lies. <laughs> if it was me on that cross, I won't be saying, Father, forgive them. They don't, and mean it as well, you know. And mean it. They don't know what they're doing. No, Father, look at them. Look at the high priest. I want them, make sure. You see, Old Testament, Old Testament is powerful. Lord, revisit re- them. Give them what they deserve. Just before they die. Old Testament saints, they will say, Lord, don't allow their, their hoary head to go to the grave untouched. Lord, remember them to the third and fourth. Old Testament, and they'll still die and go to paradise. You can't do that in the New Testament. Don't say, I wish for the Old Testament. You can't do that in the New Testament. No, New Testament, you can't be praying them prayers. You do a Stephen. As they are stoning him, stoning him, the man is talking and he changes to look like an angel. And that's not enough for you. Ah, Imagine, I'm preaching right now. And then these dark clothes become glorified. And this dark face begins to shine, shine, shine. If I say, stand and give an offering of 10,000, you try and find 10,000. I'm looking like an angel. <laughs> the man is looking like an angel. He's talking. And they are stoning him. Stupid man. Foolish man. Stoning him. And then he prays, Lord. Don't hold this particular sin against them. That's not the kind of prayer a normal human being prays. Lord, you can forgive all their sins, but this one, don't let them forget it. This is That's the power of the cross. The cross will change you. When you see what our Lord did on the cross, people who deserved the wrath of God was pleading for their mercy. So how does God forgive our sins? You see, forgiveness enables us to walk in holiness because we have been cleansed of our unrighteousness and made righteous with God. So once we are forgiven, we are automatically qualified to partake of everything that belongs to Christ. And so how does God forgive us? That enables us To walk in the goodness of the blessings of his kingdom. Two scriptures I want to read. 
1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, for, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is immediate, but sometimes the cleansing process takes time. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. Paul was commissioned and he was told that he was called to open their eyes, that is the eyes of the Gentiles, so that they may turn from, the, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in Christ or in me. So how does God make it possible to forgive us and then position us? The first thing is this. God judges our sins on the cross. I haven't given these notes out, so I'll send them out later. God judges our sins on the cross. So the sins of all mankind, past, present, future, have already been dealt with by the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says this. Having wiped out the handwriting, handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In it is in the cross. So through the cross of our Lord Jesus, through him dying on that cross, he met the fullness of God's justice concerning all our sins. And every requirement for sin was paid for through his death on the cross. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Not only did God take away the, 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 the payment or pay for the payment for our sins. Second thing is he removed the consequences of our sin. So there were consequences. Even though you're forgiven, there's still consequences. Not holding against you anymore, but there's still consequences. There's still stuff. You have to, that will, will work out because of your sin. But what the cross did was, God was able by the resurrection now, deal with the consequences of sin, which ultimately is death. And therefore, it meant now that the power that sin once had on us, it could no longer have. Because it was destroyed through the cross. The power of sin was destroyed. But I want you to see an Old Testament uh, reality which if it's in the Old Testament how much more than you? Psalm 103 verse 1 and 4. Bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits. What are these benefits? Who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from destruction. I mean we could preach on all these for quite a while. He redeems your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Do you understand what that means? God crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He empowers you to rule through his loving kindness and tender mercies. When he crowns you with something, it means you've been given the authority to live in the good of it. Who... Redeems your life from destruction, crowns with loving kindness and tender mercies. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Um, that's that's, that's um, one aspect of um, that psalm later on. 
crowns you with loving kindness, tender mercy, satisfies your youth with your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle, etc. But I want you to know is this next, this part later on. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgression from you or from us. So God has done this through the cross. He has removed the consequences of sin because the consequences of sin was uh, the payment of sin, which is death, disease, sickness, destruction. These were the consequences, and he's removed it. Another thing that God did through forgiveness of sins was this. He changed our nature. He changed our nature. So he, he made it in such a way that now the sin nature that dominated us no longer has to dominate us. Remember we talked about the sin nature that is highlighted in Romans 7. That nature no longer has to dominate us because he's put a new nature in us which when we allow him to lead us allows us to defeat the sin nature. First John 3, 9 says this. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. What does that mean? It does not mean that whoever has been born of God will never sin. What this is talking about is this. When you're born of God, your nature is no longer a sinful nature. So you do not live a lifestyle of sin. So every time you sin, it goes against your grain. So if as a child of God you find it easy to sin, you need to question what's going on in your conscience. You need to run to the cross. You need to run to the cross. If you find it easy to indulge in certain sins without any sense of guilt or shame or pain. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19, God says this, as a promise which we now walk in, then I'll give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. In other words, God says, I'm going to cause your heart to be so pliable, so soft, that you will bend and turn to how I want it to go. You will not just do it your way. When it's stony, it means it's set. I'm going to do this regardless. When it's a heart of flesh, it's easily moldable. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Same kind of emphasis, same kind of point. The fact that God changes our nature. By being forgiven of our sins, it's more than just saying to us, you are no longer held responsible for your sins. It's more than just absolution of sin. It's being transformed, being born again where you have a nature that will empower you to live righteous before God. We don't have time, so let me just say something about willful sin. Willful sin, it says, willful sin. So let me, this scripture, which I think is very provocative, Hebrews 10, 26. It says, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains sacrifice for sins. Sinning willfully is where an individual sins without a sense of conscience. They sin with no desire to repent. They sin because they believe they are an exception to the rule and do not care about the consequences of their actions. Their conscience is dead concerning the issue at hand. 
Beloved, I want to encourage you to always feel bad when you sin. There are some who teach that you shouldn't feel bad when you sin. They are liars. You should. Because it's against your nature. And when you feel bad, run to God. Not run away from him. Can you say amen? amen. Number four. When, when God forgives us, he, he also empowers us with the Holy Spirit. His person and power to help us. So how God helps us to deal with our sin and how God has forgiven us is by also allowing the Holy Spirit to assist us through his person and his power. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 26, our Lord says this, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, another helper, that he may abide with you forever. 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So you need to allow him to guide you, the Holy Spirit. And he will help you. He will help you. He will encourage you. Sometimes when you're struggling with sin, many times when I'm struggling with sin, I'll say I'm struggling. Lord, we both know I'm going to do it. Please help me. Help me not to do it. Are you able to tell God you're about to sin? I do. I tell him, Dad, we both know I'm about to do this thing. Please help me. Don't lie. Tell him the truth. Help me not to. But please, don't disgrace me. So I always like to add that. I don't need somebody coming up to me and telling me I saw this dream about it. Please, don't be doing that to me. I don't want that. I can do it for other people, but I don't want it done to me. Mm -hmm. So how do we receive forgiveness? How do we receive forgiveness? You know, whoever loves much forgives much. And he who is forgiven much loves much. It's like a, it's like a paradox. But what does that mean? It means this. The more you understand how much you have been forgiven, the more you understand why you need to love people. And it becomes easier to love. But if you don't realize how much you've been forgiven, then you take it for granted. You allow any little thing somebody does to you to become a big deal. Yeah. Uh, we don't have time, but the narrative in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, about the woman who uh, um, washed his feet with um, perfume, and the Pharisees judging her, and judging Jesus, and man, if this guy was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, kissing his feet. Listen, I'm such a ticklish person. You don't be kissing, you can't, like if I was, I'd be, I'd be, no, what are you doing? the kind of self-control the Lord must have exhibited because it's embarrassing. I don't ever want anybody coming to try and kiss my feet in the name of, Pastor, I want to honor you. I will, I will kick your face by accident. By accident. By accident. Kick your face by accident. I don't want trouble. Oh. I don't want trouble. You know, you're kissing my feet and I'm... <laughs> <laughs> and then something else can happen. So it's very embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. Jesus is sitting there. This woman comes out of nowhere, starts to pour oil on his feet, nice perfume, and starts to kiss his feet. And she's known as a loose woman. I mean, this is kind of scandal-like, you know. It's a 
come on, lady, I don't know you from Adam. And then I reckon Peter and them were like, what the? And then he went, hey, master, what's happening here? Everybody's watching. Now, it's one thing it was like in some secret room by themselves. Then we will be suspicious. Everybody's watching. And Jesus protects the dignity of this woman. And he associates with her shame. And then the, the Pharisees say, ah, this man, nah. He was a prophet. You know the kind of woman doing this to him. And then Jesus tells to him, Simon, the guy's name is Simon. He gives a parable. One woman, one person owes 50, another 500. Who do you think will, will, will forgive the most? He said, the one who owed the most. And then he says, this woman, basically in a nutshell, this woman is a great sinner and she loves much and so she's forgiven much. And her sins, which are many, are wiped away. You know, when you realize how bad you are before God, not before men, don't worry about what people think, before God, it's easy to forgive people when they hurt you. Yeah. So I'm concluding with this. How do we receive God's forgiveness? One, understand his provision for your sins. God has made provision for your sins. All of it. Secondly, believe and receive his provision. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that that gospel that was preached in those, to those of old was preached to them as well as us, but the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So believe that what Jesus has done is for you. Third point, confess your sins to God. Now, confessing your sins is not what makes you forgiven. You don't need to confess your sins in order to be forgiven. But what confessing your sin means scripturally, it's not that you're saying, God, I did this and I did that. That's not what it means. No, no, no. Confessing your sin scripturally means you agree with God about your sin. You say the same thing as God says about your sin. So if God says it's bad, then it's bad. If God says it's evil, then it's evil. Because society will always change in its definitions for sin. I like to listen to the moral maze. Uh, I show you my age, I guess. And sometimes it really, it's really great, and sometimes it's really infuriating. Um, it's a Radio 4 program for old people. Um, so, 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 but it's really good. But, but one thing that's clear is that our society has lost its moral compass. Because there are no longer any absolutes. So there's nothing to measure morality by. However, Scripture says if we confess our sins, that means if we say the same thing as God regarding our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number four, repent and be converted. What does that mean? Repent means to think differently or to, uh, to change and uh, reconsider your ways. And converted means you literally have gone back to something. So what, when, when the scripture says in Acts chapter 17 verse 30. Actually, that cannot be right. That can't be the right reference. It can't be Acts chapter 17, verse 30. It must be Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Can you check that for me? It says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When you repent, you turn. Acts, 17 verse, Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Yes, thank you. When you repent, you turn 
from something. When you're converted, you turn, you go back to what you were supposed to stand in. And what you need to realize as a child of God is there are things you need to turn from and go back to when you are honoring God in your life. We'll stop there and let's pray. So earlier on, we had a lot of prophetic ministration in terms of prayer and so forth. So we don't really need to do that. But what we want to do is just want to seal the word in your heart. So if you're saying to the Lord, thank you for your word, and I receive your word, and I seal it in my heart, stand right now. I'll speak it into you before I hand back to Steve. Father, we thank you. Raise your hands and receive. Those of you online, do the same if you can. Father, we thank you for your word. We receive your word. We thank you for forgiveness. We live in the good of it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you.